0: Today's scripture is going to be from Matthew 5, uh, verses 3 to 6, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of God. Thank you, Tanner. All right, good afternoon, everyone. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, associate pastor. So we are continuing in the series of the Beatitudes. And today, uh, Tanner uh, read the passage for us, verses 3 to 6. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Sangmin, he launched us into the series. Um, and just some of the little, at least just a little bit of context, we're, we're starting with the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are the section that begins what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of Jesus's significant teachings. And Pastor Sangmin he gave us some of the the background, the timing, uh, the 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 location, uh, you know, during Jesus's ministry, and and we were encouraged to meditate over the Beatitudes. We were actually encouraged to. to memorize the Beatitudes, so we're not going to show it up here, and we're going to try. I think we can do it. I think we can memorize it. Uh, So I'm going to prompt us. I'll, I'll say the first part, and then you see if you can remember the second part, all right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied not too bad right i think we can do it last week pastor sangman he covered the first beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. He gave us the the Greek word, ptochos, beggar, pauper, destitute, helpless, powerless, lacking in anything. And as I was hearing this, bankruptcy, bankruptcy, total bankruptcy. And I don't know why I thought of Wyclef Jean. You guys know Wyclef That old song, loved it in high school, we just trying to stay, or we we trying to stay alive, trying to stay alive. And there's just this part in the middle of the song where Wycliffe says, if you got more than a dollar in your pocket, put your hands up. (laughs) Ptojos never even felt a dollar in their hand. Bankrupt, total bankrupt. But this is a spiritual bankruptcy That we were taught about now the first beatitude as we learned last week is the foundation of the rest blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt blessed are those who know their need for Jesus this is grace now if you haven't heard those teachings please please go back and listen you can find it on our YouTube on our website on our podcast go back and listen now, in a lot of ways, today what I have to share is a lot of repeat. <laughs> in a lot of these themes, it's a lot of repeat, but that's okay because why? Because we're trying to, we're trying to learn this stuff. We're trying to meditate on this, right? We're trying to get it into our minds and into our hearts and into out of our lives, right? And so, in order to do that, we actually we need repetition. We need time. We need to, we need to marinate in this. So, in that sense, it's okay. And on the other hand, like. Actually, every week we do. We preach the same thing. We preach the same thing every week. We preach Jesus Christ, our need for Jesus. And He stands ready to fill our need with His very presence. This is the gospel. And that's what we're committed to. We are spiritually bankrupt, we need Jesus and he stands ready to pour out unto us. If you're new to church, that is likely a part of why you're here. You feel some sense of need that you have not been able to fill anywhere else. Because the truth is, we are sinners in need of grace. And Jesus' grace is far deeper than the worst and the deepest of our sins. So that's good enough. If, you, if that's all you hear today, that's good enough. But we're going we're to go deeper, okay? Um, so last week, Pastor Simon, he gave us uh, a, a, a way of thinking through the Beatitudes. Uh, to, he, he asked us to envision a healthy plant with three main parts. A healthy plant has the roots, it has the shoots, and it has the fruits, roots. If you look at this image, I think if it pops up, yes, that was really small there, but you see the roots are huge. Do you guys know that the roots are like as big or bigger than the, the top of a tree? Roots are huge. Roots, and he talked about how the, 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 the being, the, being poor in spirit, knowing our poverty in spirit and mourning and, and being meek, that these are the roots. That these are the foundation, our, our knowledge, our, our sense of need for Jesus, which, which grows the shoots, which is the hunger and the thirsting for righteousness. And from there, we bear fruit of mercy, of purity, of peacemaking, of endurance, even enduring persecution for righteousness' sake. So roots, shoots, and fruits. Now, today I want to offer a, a, another uh, Another frame uh, or structure to think through, to think about the Beatitudes. Now, this is taken from Pastor Doug O'Donnell's com- commentary on Matthew and uh, the Beatitudes. He 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 he, he uh, has these categories of blessedness. Okay. Three categories of blessedness or three aspects of this blessedness that we have in the Beatitudes. It is a broken blessedness. It is a future blessedness. It is a selfless blessedness. Broken blessedness, as we saw. Poor in spirit. Poverty. Bankruptcy in spirit. It's broken. It, it, there, there's, there's mourning. There's deep anguish and pain. There is meekness. There is hungering and thirsting. It is a broken blessedness. It is a future blessedness. Now, while there is a present tense of blessed, there is a future tense of the promise. For they shall be comforted. For they shall inherit the earth. For they shall be satisfied. There's a, a future tense to these promises. And. It is a selfless blessedness. Now, when they promise, while they promise real rewards both now and in the future, see, none of them are focused on the self. It doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall become rich and comfortable, right? There is actually a focus on God. There is a focus on others or a combination of both, okay? Broken blessedness future blessedness, and selfless blessedness. And today, I hope to go deeper, explore why, how it is a broken blessedness as we look at the second and third and fourth beatitude. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When have you mourned? Now, whether you've lived a lot of years or comparatively only a few, some of us have mourned a lot. Some of you have lived through some really difficult things. Now, others of us, you know, we've had some hard times, but some of us haven't really experienced the level of mourning that others of us have. And It's not not a competition. Just... Just saying, just for us to think about, when have you mourned? In the Greek, penteo, it has that sense to grieve, to wail. Have you ever ever had such deep anguish that you you couldn't stop but wail? To lament. This is a word that we don't really use really outside of the church, I feel like. But this is not just complaining, okay? It's not just complaining. It's not blessed are those who complain. It is not complaining, but to lament, it has that sense of, you know, not just complaining to people around you, not just complaining into the universe, but actually bringing these things, this anguish and this pain and this sorrow before God. There is much in our world to mourn. The Itaewon crowd crush this past Halloween. Maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, but you know, like, like it was—it was so sad on so many different levels, right? The 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 untimeliness of it, like. I, I read, I think, I think the, youngest, the youngest victim was a 13-year-old girl. She was there with her mom and her aunt. They were just there to go and have fun and experience something new. And you think about, like, all of them were, were, were young people, loved ones, vibrantly living out their lives, and they're gone. And I know that that affected some of you very deeply here. I know that I've talked to at least a couple people where this this thing has like rocked your world and made it really difficult to see, man, how is God good? And this kind of stuff happens. And I I imagine that some of us are like, "Yeah, yeah, I know it's sad, but you haven't felt that mourning. Maybe because you're, just distant from it. Maybe you, ha- you didn't know anybody that was directly involved. But if you went to the vigil that was set up in Itaewon, you know, if you, if you saw the handwritten post-its, if you saw the photos of the people, and actually if you saw a mother on her knees weeping, it becomes... That much closer, that you could feel that anguish. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's much in our world to mourn. The the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, an entire people, you know, living in fear of bombing and being overtaken, and war, and people on both sides dying. I was in uh, the US last month, I was in Alabama, and while I was there, a tornado came through the area, didn't hit where I was exactly, but 20 minutes down the road, and so me and a group of, uh, group of um, uh, people that I was with, we, we went down there to help. And it's the first time that I seen something like that, just the destruction, like houses just picked up and just thrown as if they're nothing. Hundreds of lives lost. It's devastating. And it like it just it just happens like that. The earthquake in Syria and Turkey. Tens of thousands, right? Perished. It's, 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 it's devastating. And I mean like I mean so many of these things, it's like it's dizzying. It's like, man, I can't even I can't even imagine those numbers, and they're just, they're just like, now they're just like growing stats, they're growing numbers, and it's difficult to like, like, man, to mourn it, and part of that is like, you know, we're trying to just protect ourselves and stuff, but I was uh, talking with Pastor Sungmin uh, last week, and he, he had read an article, he's, there was a, there was a man who had survived the earthquake, but he was sitting in, 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 in the rubble, in, in, in the rubble of, of like, maybe his, his home that had collapsed. And he sat there for days and days holding the hand of his daughter who was crushed. Like, how could he let go? How could he let go? Like, And suddenly that girl and her father were you know, they're they're not just a figure, like they're these are God's beloved children. And my heart broke. What can you do but mourn? God mourns over these things. God cares and God mourns. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is much in our world to mourn. Have you ever mourned over your sin? You know, a few years ago, I I confessed to Mina, my wife, that I had been hiding something from her. I was feeling guilty about it, and I and I told her about it. And it was Honestly, it wasn't, like, a big deal. It wasn't, like, a really big deal. But when I looked into her eyes, and she, she looked into my eyes, and she said, John, like, if you can hide something like this from me, then it makes me think that you can hide something much bigger from me, too. Like, how, how am I going to trust you? It makes it a lot more difficult for me to trust you, John. And I mourned, I mourned that sin that I had been hiding things from her. I shared with my community group last, last week, you know, there was, there was actually a time in my life when I had thrown in the towel to, to live this life for Jesus. I was, I was going to live for my own appetite. I was going to live for my fleshly desires. I'm not going to go into any kind of detail. My mom's sitting in the back there. But <laughs> I was going down that path. I was going down that path. And what amazing grace that pulled me out of it because it was a path toward destruction. And it wasn't like everything that I did was like, oh, terrible, everything. It wasn't, it wasn't that, right? But it was like, I know I was on this path of destruction. And I was going to pull others along with me. I got a glimpse, guys. I got a glimpse of the endless of destruction that sin is and I mourned my sin blessed are those who mourn have you mourned over your sins I had a friend in high school who got into a relationship with a girl that's not not where I'm going he got into a relationship with a girl fell in love with her girl of his dreams and they broke up and he was heartbroken He was heartbroken. Like it changed him. And years later, I talked with him. And he he said to me, he's like, you know, man, like, you know, Christians, we're, we're supposed to feel bad about our sins, right? But I never felt as bad over my sins as I felt bad about that breakup. And then he left the faith. He walked away from Jesus. Mourning over your sin is a blessedness. Why? Because only from that mourning, there is a promised comfort. Jesus longs to forgive. He longs to forgive. He longs to cover. He loves to do it. He longs to clothe the poor in spirit. And the mourning with comfort and his presence. See, our God, he does not love to punish. Despite what you might think when you read the Old Testament, he does not love to punish. What he longs for is to forgive the the, the repentant. Even the worst of criminals, even the worst, even the most violent of criminals, like I have to believe this, I have to believe this, even the worst, most grotesque deeds I mean, you, you've likely read stories. I've read stories, people that are in prison, you know, that are, that are, that are in multiple life sentences, uh, life without parole kind of stuff, and, and they become born-again Christians. And then they'll apply to get their sentence shortened, you know? They're like, hey, I'm, I'm good now, I'm good now, let me out, let me out, right? I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, to me, like, a mark of that true repentance would be deep mourning, of the sin, deep mourning of those actions, deep mourning of the pain that was caused by, you know, things that I did. Right? It, like, to me, it, like it seems like, man, I, like I would, I would know, like, man, I'm in this prison, I, and I deserve this punishment. I deserve this punishment. I deserve to, 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 to fill to, uh, to, to finish out this sentencing, and. Yet, blessed are those who mourn, for even them, they shall be comforted. Because God does not love to punish, but he loves and longs to forgive. Like, to me, and it, it has to be true. It has to be true. Because, like I said, I got a glimpse into the pit of my capacity to sin. And there was no bottom to the depth of that depravity. There was no bottom to it. And then when I think, man, like, what if I was born to, like, unloving parents? What if I was, like, young, surrounded by violence and just abuse? Like, man, like, if, if that was my life, like, I... What... Like I'm no better. I'm no better. I'm no better than the worst of, like, worst of the worst. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. James says, but he gives more grace. He, God, God gives more grace. This is why it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, the laughter and joy that he's talking about here, laughter and joy refers to how people take their sin lightly. I made a mistake, Eh, whatever, right? Whatever, whatever. And he says, no, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Mourn and weep, humble yourself, repent, and he will forgive you and he will exalt you. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Have you mourned your sins? Do you long for comfort? What scripture tells us is that God mourns. He mourns all of these things, right? God the creator, and and like we look at this world, the fruit of his love and creativity And humanity into which he put his very breath, who then move in rebellion against him, bringing suspicion and jealousy and blame and every kind of abominable deed and death. And God mourns how this infects all of creation, the whole of creation, and this creation that the Bible says has been Groaning in pain ever since. God mourns. And those who mourn are blessed. Why? Because of their mourning? No, they're blessed because they shall be comforted. Now we're going to move on. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meekness? I remember hearing once, I think when I was in high school, that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually power restrained. True meekness is someone truly powerful, but who restrains that power out of humility or respect or love. And I think that that understanding of the word is actually, it's, it's helpful. It's been helpful to me at times, but that, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus is talking about here because it is not primarily a disposition. It is not an attitude. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who rely wholly on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. The meek are the helpless. It's just a, it's just a fact of being. The meek are the helpless. And if we follow the logic that Pastor Sangmin gave to us last week, that Jesus, as He's teaching, as He's giving us these, these beatitudes, that they are in a specific order. He gave like an, an analogy of like I think I think uh, like monkey monkey bars or rings or something like that. Like you can't get to ring three without first getting to two. Can't get to two without getting to one, right? So if, if, we, if we have it with that understanding, it's actually, it it's, uh, gives a greater sense to who or what the meek are. The meek are those who having lived in their poorness, their poverty, their bankruptcy of spirits, those who have, having mourned their sins and loss and self-destruction, who have tasted God's mercy and comfort of forgiveness. How do they how do those people go on living their lives? Do they go on living proud, triumphant, flippantly, brashly? All right, I said sorry. Now get me out of jail. I deserve to get out of jail. No, they would carry on their lives with thankfulness, with gratitude, with humility, in or out of prison, if we're going to keep going, like talking about that in that sense, in or out of difficult situations, they would go on to live their lives with meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You probably heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves, right? That's not what this says. God does not help those who help themselves. God gives grace to the humble. As Pastor Sungman closed last week, he said, it is God, he makes the poor rich. He makes the weak strong. He makes the foolish wise. He makes the guilty righteous and the meek. Not the strong, not the triumphant, not the manip- manipulative. I didn't say that. Not the manipulative, not the game winners, game changers. The meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who feels that hunger and thirst? Is anyone fasting for Lent? Anyone fasting food for Lent? Anyone? Anyone here? Has anyone ever fasted? <laughs> imagine. Imagine. You fasted. You're fasting. You're fasting every day, Monday through Saturday. Can you imagine that? You'd be hungry. You'd be hungry. Now one of, one of the traditions is that you can take a break from the fast on Sundays. And so if that was you, what would you do? Would you have a huge breakfast and keep eating all through lunch and then come to church and then have to be in the bathroom because that was a mistake? (laughs) If you fast a long time, you got to ease into eating, okay? Now, if you've ever fasted or if you've ever done any kind of crazy hardcore diet, you have an idea of what hunger is. But please don't hear me trivialize this reality, but we know there are millions, millions of people today who are starving, right? They hunger and thirst, and they do not have a choice to take a break from that. It's not a choice. It's not a sacrifice. It's not a spiritual discipline. They are in inescapable they're an inescapable starvation. Now this is much closer to the hunger and thirst Jesus is talking about here. But in Matthew chapter five verse six, it is a hunger and thirst for righteousness, an inescapable condition of starvation or dehydration, a longing. A need for righteousness. So we've got to pause. What is righteousness? Now, the Greek word, dikaiosunen, has two main possible uh, definitions or translations that, that I've seen anyways in church. Now, one is righteousness as in a right relationship with God. And the other sense of righteousness is righteous or moral, just living. Now, in either case, blessed are those who are in an inescapable starvation for righteousness. And similar to last week, the spiritual poverty, the spiritual bankruptcy, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do to gain either of these righteousness on our own additionally these two concepts are not mutually exclusive because being in right relationship with god will as fruit as proof if you will come out in just righteous moral living it has to and on the flip side just because people are trying to do good things and, you know, do humanitarian things, whatever, 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 if they are living in rebellion against God, guess what? It's not, it's not viewed as righteousness. It's not. But the reason, I, the reason I want to point this out is because for me, a lot of times, I just, I think about this one. I think about this one more, righteousness, the righteousness that I have in Christ the right relationship now as i often do and i think as many evangelical christians think and primarily think and talk about if we if we only think of righteousness in this sense of right relationship with god it actually it becomes kind of easy to think that it's only and solely talking about that gift of being absolved of the guilt of sin this amazing gift it's easy to think, man, God loves me, I'm forgiven, I'm free, and, 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 and cool, cool, cool. Okay, that's, maybe that's not easy because we get distracted by the world, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, it's easy to just think, oh, this is just, my life is just me and God, my relationship, Jesus Jesus loves me, he, he went to the cross for me, he forgave me, I'm cool, I'm in right relationship with God, cool, and then I can just live my life how I want. It's easy to, to think in that way. But see, as Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount, he does not allow us to think of righteousness in that way. I listened to a sermon that Dr. Kim, uh, Dr. Tim Keller preached a couple years ago on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we, I think we talk about Tim Keller a lot, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason. I kind of just just let me say just real fast. There's a lot of great teachers out there, a lot of great preachers, a lot of great scholars out there, but not all. Thanks, man. I told everyone like I don't need water, but I do. But not all of them preach Christ. Not all of them are Christ centered. Not all of them are gospel centered. And think about Tim Keller's. I know. I trust. I know he is going to preach Christ, and so that's why. We love Tim Keller. Okay, anyway, so I listened to the sermon, and he told this story of a teacher, uh, a university professor who had her students read the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe that's weird because it was not don't—it wasn't a Christian school, but it's one of the like most famous, influential texts of like of human of like of human history. So it that actually does make sense. So she made them read the Sermon on the Mount, and they had to write a paper on it. What she was surprised to find is that. Almost none of her students had ever read it, and most of them had never even heard of it. Wow. Okay? So they go, they do the assignment, they read it, they write a report, they submit it, and she reads it. And she <laughs> so many of them, like a majority of the papers that she read said basically the same thing. They hated it. They hated it. They said things like, this is the most absurd and unhuman thing anyone has ever written. No one can live like this. No one is perfect. How can anyone even say this? Like, this doesn't make sense. This is stupid. Why did you make me read this? I hate this. This is how a lot of the papers were written. And she reflected on this. And she said something to the effect of, Finally, these students, these these people who have never been exposed to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, who have been uninfected by 2,000 years of haze that has softened his teachings to fit the palates of the modern Christian. Finally, here is a group of people who are hearing what Jesus actually said jesus's description and demands of righteousness what righteousness is what it what it is motivated by how it is lived out what it smells like what it looks like is in fact impossible right have you read it the righteous demands of deeds actions thoughts motives heart You've heard it said, you shall not murder. Okay, that's easy. Don't kill people. Well, if you're angry at someone, if you insult someone, if you roll your eyes at someone, if you ignore someone because you don't like them, guess what? You've just committed murder because you didn't honor them as God's beloved. That's what murder is. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But if you've just even looked at a picture of someone And lusted after him or her in your heart, you've committed adultery. Even the good things you do, Jesus says, hey, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If you do something good and and you do it for attention or reputation or even just to make yourself feel validated as a person or as a Christian, like if you have these motives, then, well, that attention, that, that reputation, like that's your reward. Because it's not righteousness. What Jesus lays out, what he shows us, this righteousness, it is. It's impossible. It's terrifyingly impossible. And yet, I think he he actually is calling us to it. Jesus actually expects his followers to live in that way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because righteousness can only come from God. Righteousness can only come from God. Whether it's this one or that one, it can only come from God. If it's being in right relationship with God, there's nothing I can do myself to to make myself right with God in my own strength, in my own effort. There's nothing that I can do. I need his grace and forgiveness. I need this free, undeserved gift. If it is this one, righteous living, man, I can't do it. By my strength, willpower, by my determination, I cannot do it. I fall. I'll fall into failure and do do stupid things, do the wrong thing. And even if I do the right thing, self-righteous starts creeping up. Like, I I can't do it. I need, I need I need this. I need this from God. Righteousness can only be gifted by the only one who has it. Who has it? God has it. It is heaven sent. And here's another important dimension that you may or may not have noticed. While it is a righteousness that is heaven sent as its source, it is earth centered as its goal. What does this mean? Frederick Brunner, scholar, says something like this. In the Old Testament, any act of worship, anything, any act of worship, any practice of spiritual discipline that does not show itself in human righteousness or social justice toward people would bring prophetic wrath. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount speaks of personal and social righteousness. And while the Beatitudes have a very earth-centered focus of real, real brokenness and need, the promise, the real comfort and promise is in the future. It's a future blessedness. What future? When Jesus returns. That last song that we sang. The hymn of of heaven. There will be a day, there will be a day when all will bow before him. When death will be no more. There will be a day, this future, when Jesus returns with the full kingdom of God and with his satisfyingly righteous judgments and vindication for the whole of his suffering world and church. King's Cross, we need, to love, we need to long for this. We need to long for Jesus' return. We need to long for Jesus' return. We need to love this reality that Jesus is coming back. Because if we don't, this blessedness, it gets really distorted real fast. Like, man, who's the blessed? What are you talking about? Who's blessed? The strong, the rich, the, the, the comfortable. They're the, they're the blessed ones. Everyone else is just suffering. No, no, no. We're looking, to a, we're looking to a real a real future, an eternal reality. Now the promises that come with Jesus: they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. they shall be satisfied for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to long for. The kingdom we need to long for the king I promise I'm closing up right now what kind of king is Jesus he is the king described by the beatitudes Jesus poor in spirit became nothing so that we could enter the kingdom of heaven Jesus is the one who mourned. He mourned over Israel. He mourned over the unbelieving and the unrepentant so that we can be comforted. He mourned over our sins and he took our sins into himself so that we can be comforted. Jesus is meek, depended fully on God for everything like a sheep led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. So that we could be clothed, excuse me, so that we could be heirs of his kingdom and inherit the earth. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness on the cross. He said, I am thirsty. So that we can be clothed in righteousness. So that we could be filled, satisfied The word in Greek satisfied is chotazo. And it's funny because literally, literally it means to gorge, as in there's a food, like food in abundance, overflow. Jesus clothes us in his righteousness so that we would overflow from being blessed to being a blessing, to bless those around us, to bless those who mourn, to bless the meek, to bless the hungry and the thirsty. Guys, there's so many in the world in this room, around our lives, mourning, helpless, starving. They need to see Jesus. They need to experience it. The broken blessedness, the selfless blessedness, the future blessedness. So, King's Cross, may we be filled and satisfied by our champion Jesus that we can be true blessings. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. You are poor in spirit. You're the one who mourned. You are the meek. You are the one who hungered and thirsted for righteousness so that we could be with you, so that we could be made right, so that we could be empowered, so that we could be covered in righteousness, God, comforted. Heirs to your kingdom, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. May we long for you. May you stir a hunger and thirst for you, Jesus.